Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, and Memorial Day is that holiday to respectfully remember and honor those who paid the ultimate sacrifice by laying down their lives in the service of our nation in order to protect the freedoms that we hold so dear. We are grateful for those sacrifices. And to those of you who are serving all around the world, we want to thank you for your gift to us through that service. We are tremendously grateful for that as well. When I think about remembering the lives of those who we love and honor, I, I always think about funerals. Funerals are often sad occasions, but they're are parts of funerals that can be very comforting. There's one comforting part in every memorial service, and that's the time when we get to reflect or reminisce about the person who has passed away. The focus is on those admirable qualities that that person had, that defined them, and that are worthy of our honor. So a family member or close friend or maybe the minister will stand up and share those defining characteristics that tell the story of who this person was. And they often bring comfort to those who are there to remember. I wonder, when that's you in the casket, what will they say? What will they say about you? What will you be remembered for? You know, it's a little bit morbid, but I think occasionally it's not a bad idea to stop and think about what we hope people will say. What, What we hope that they will remember were the characteristics that defined us. And if we don't like the result, then we can change that. We could start to adopt characteristics in our lives that we We want people to remember us for. One characteristic I hope that you and I both are remembered for is the characteristic of generosity. And that's the topic today. Everyone for generosity for everyone. I hope people will say that we lived our lives by the words of Jesus It is more blessed to give than to receive. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Recently, while on vacation, I read an inspiring little book entitled Enough by an author by the name of Adam Hamilton. It was recommended to me, and uh, it was a timely read as I was thinking about this message, Hamilton gives this biblical analysis on the issues of simplicity and generosity. It was a very helpful resource for this message, and I, I just want to recommend this. If, if you want to take a little deeper dive on this topic of generosity, check out this book. It really, will be very, very helpful. We were all created by God with a design to be generous. Oh, you may not feel like that's the case for you, but that's how we were designed. We were created with a willingness to give to God and to others. Because of that design, we actually have a need to be generous. But there is a problem. Here's the problem. 
God designed us to be generous, but the devil tempts us to keep it all for ourselves. Now, there are two voices that work in tandem against us and our design to be generous. Those two voices try to drown out our God-given impulse to be generous. Those two voices try to convince us to keep things for ourselves, even hoard what we have just for ourselves. The first voice, voice number one, is the voice of fear. And this is what the voice of fear says. The voice of fear tells us, don't give or you may run out. If you give, there may not be enough to pay your bills or to buy groceries or to fill your gas tank up. This can create insecurity in a person. Fear can confuse us about where our provision comes from, where our security actually comes from. It's important to note, God is our provider. Not just here at the church, but for every one of us who's a follower of his. Let me give you an example. It's found in Exodus, the 16th chapter, starting with verse 1 and following. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And then it continues in chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. It says, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And then skip down to verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. The people of Israel had left Egypt. They were liberated from slavery in Egypt, and they found themselves in the desert with no source of food for, estimates say, a million or more people. As they grumbled and complained, they were blaming God For the predicament they were in. So God instructed Moses that he, God, would provide bread from heaven for his people. And for 40 years, while the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness, God provided bread from heaven. This is just one example of God providing for his people. You see, their provision wasn't in their hands. 
It was in God's. They weren't capable of providing food for the entire nation, not even for one day as they wandered in that desert. Their provision was in God's hands, and he took great care of his people. First Chronicles 29.12 says this, Wealth and honor come from you. That's a reference to God. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. God's the ruler of all things. So, fear not. Put your trust in God. He will take care of you. Well, there's another voice Voice number two that speaks against the being a generous person, the way we were designed, and that is the voice of self-gratification. Listen to what self-gratification says. It says that if you give your resources away, then you won't be able to buy what you need to be happy. Our culture tries to convince us that We need to buy stuff in order to be happy. In fact, our economy is kind of based on the fact that we should buy lots of things. So this idea of if we want to be happy, we need to buy certain stuff. It's in the abundance of possessions, the culture says, and fun experiences that we will find actual happiness. It gets us thinking that if I give There might not be enough left for me, and then I won't be happy. When one does the math, if we tithe, we realize that that 10% of our income that we're giving to God could buy a lot of really awesome things. It's important to recognize that just because you hear voices of fear or self-gratification, that doesn't mean those voices are true. In fact, there comes a point when that increasing amount of stuff that you've purchased produces less and less happiness. As of 2016, America has an estimated 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space, which makes me wonder if the stuff we believed would make us happy is actually doing any of that while sitting in storage lockers all around the country. How do we conquer the voices of fear and self-gratification? Well, the truth is they are defeated the minute we put our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves in And we can allow him to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. We find that our fears begin to dissolve when that starts to happen. And our aim in life starts to shift from seeking personal pleasure to pleasing God and caring for others. Those voices will occasionally still bother us, but we are able to silence them. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That voice doesn't have authority over you anymore. Because the Holy Spirit lives in the follower, 
of Jesus, the enemies of God have no authority over him or her. Here's a key point. The more I grow in Jesus, the more generous I become. The more I become like Jesus, the more generous I become. And God blesses that kind of faith. Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we will begin to think more about others and less about ourselves. And truthfully, we'll be okay with that. You start seeing the needs of others and you think someone needs to do something about that and then it dawns on you. I'm somebody. I could do something about that. And then one day we discover that we find more joy in doing things for God and for others than we did in doing things for ourselves. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because it is. There is a great blessing in giving. Even though it's great to receive, there is a great blessing in giving. Well, generosity is part of the way we were designed. Thus, it is a biblical concept. So what does the Bible say about generosity? What does biblical generosity actually look like? Well, from the beginning of the Bible, God's people have practiced giving some portion of the best of what they had back to God. Initially, this practice was, a, was to burn these offerings on an altar, just burn them completely. This was a way of saying, I give all of this to you, God. Later, people would bring their offerings to the priests and give them to God for the work of the temple and for the priesthood. These gifts were called first fruits or a tithe, and they equaled one-tenth of one's flocks or their crops or their income. Abraham was actually the first to make a tithe, to give a tithe. In the days of Moses, the tithe actually became part of the law. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, we read this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whether the harvest was, a, uh, was from the fields or the flocks, the law said the first tenth was actually holy to the Lord. So what does the tithe look like today? Mike Bro, who is one of my senior ministers who I worked for a number of years ago, was asked by a guy who was a brand new Christian. He said, could you explain to me what this tithing is all about? We thought that was pretty funny. You see, as a Christian who lives under the new covenant, we know that we aren't bound by the law of Moses any longer. What then does God expect from us with regard to the tithe? Well, most Christians agree that the tithe is still a good guide for our lives and one that when we give it, 
It is pleasing to God. We give a tenth to the church to accomplish the work of God's kingdom. Yet tithing can be challenging. Tithing can be a very challenging idea for a lot of us. It can stretch us. Especially if you're dogged by the voices of fear and self-gratification. I realize that this is challenging. I understand that. In fact, for some of you, you're really bothered with me because I even had the nerve to bring up this topic of tithing. Because, well, truthfully, it makes you feel uncomfortable. I hope you know it's not my intent to make you feel uncomfortable. But I do want us to expand our horizons with regard to generosity. And tithing plays a great part of it. Now, tithing can be challenging because it may not be possible for you to give 10% to God right away. You say, hey, I want to do this. I want to bless God. I want to be pleasing to God. But I can't do 10% right away. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to just take a step. Maybe you start by giving 2% or 5% or you get to 7% and then 8% and 9% and eventually 10%. Here's the deal. God knows where you are and he will help you make the adjustments necessary for you to become generous the way he designed you. There is a problem. As my income has grown through the years, it could be tempting to look at our tithe and think, man, that is a lot of money that I'm giving away. Former chaplain of the United States Senate, Peter Marshall, tells a story about a man who, who focused on his, his tithe just that way. He was really struggling to give this tithe because he had a very large income. The man said to Marshall, I have a problem. I used to tithe regularly some years ago, but now I'm earning $500,000 a year, and there is just no way I can afford to give away $50,000. Peter Marshall reflected on the wealthy man's dilemma, but gave no advice to him. He simply said, I can certainly see your problem. Let's pray about it. Well, the man agreed, and so Marshall and the man bowed their heads and prayed. And Marshall prayed with a boldness and an authority. Heavenly Father, he said, I pray that you would reduce this man's salary back to the place that he can afford to tithe. The truth is that regardless of our income level, each of us, is faced with the same challenge. How much money is enough? How much money is enough to live on? After we give God our tithe, is 90% enough? And as our income increases over time, if we're blessed to have that happen, it may actually double. Or some, your income over time will quadruple. This will increase the amount of your tithe. And when that happens, we will have two choices of what to do with it. We will either invest it in God's kingdom or we will keep it for ourselves. 
Keep in mind what Jesus said. Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 48. To whom much is given, much will be required. We're going to be responsible for how we use what God has blessed us with. When we think about generosity, it's important to recognize that our generosity blesses God. From the very early on in from very early on in the Bible, the main way people worshiped was not by singing. It was by building an altar and offering the fruit of their labor to God on that altar. Moses writes about something that would happen when a sacrifice was offered. We read it in Exodus, the 29th chapter, verse 18. It says, then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. That last phrase, a pleasing aroma. Moses is saying that the smell of the offering was pleasing to God. Here's the deal. It wasn't that God loved the smell of the burnt meat or the grain, though he may. Rather, God saw his people giving a gift to him as an expression of their love and faith with a desire to please and honor God in that process. That moved his heart. That was pleasing to God. I think that is how God sees our offerings too. They're not just financial transactions. Our offerings are a way of saying, here's a portion of what you've given to me and what I've earned, and I give it to you to say thank you and to say I love you. Please use this to change the world, God. Well, there's another facet about generosity that may surprise some of us. My generosity can also bless me. When we're generous to God and to others, it can fill us with joy. Our hearts are enlarged by generously giving. Here's a key point. When we give generously, we become more generous. We become more of the way that we were created or designed by God. When we first start, we may be somewhat tentative to be generous, maybe even reluctant. But something happens in the midst of our giving, and we find ourselves growing and becoming more generous. Generosity will change you. When, when we are generous with what we have, we find that unexpected blessings flow back into our lives. Here's the truth. You can't outgive God. You never will. You can't outgive God. Oh, you could try, but you will never succeed. One of the best stories I've read recently uh, that illustrates this key point is from the life of a young man by the name of Jeff Hansen. Jeff was a teenage student at Kansas, the Kansas School for the Blind. He was visually impaired as a result of 
a tumor on his optic nerve caused by a genetic condition called neurofibromatosis. After treatment for the tumor and with the help of glasses, Jeff was able to see the big E at the top of the eye chart. Jeff was a gifted young man. He baked and painted, selling his creations in order to raise money to donate to the Children's Tumor Foundation. Over the course of Jeff's life, he donated over $6.5 million, much to the Children's Tumor Foundation, but to other charities as well. In the fall of 2005, when he was receiving chemotherapy, Jeff was granted a wish by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And he told them his wish was he wanted to meet Elton John. When it was announced that Elton would be coming to Kansas City for a concert, the Make-A-Wish Foundation contacted Jeff to say that he was going to get to meet Elton John. They would meet before the concert backstage. And the day arrived... Elton John met Jeff backstage. Elton was gracious and very generous with his time. Jeff told Elton his story, and he gave him a package of note cards that had artwork that he had done on the front of the cards. Jeff Jeff told Elton John his own story, and it seemed to have an impact on Elton. Well, the time came for them to say goodbye, and Jeff reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a check for $1,000, and he handed it to Elton John. The check was made out to the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Jeff Hansen was 12 years old at the time, and he just gave a $1,000 check to Elton John. I'm guessing that Elton was speechless in that moment. He had wanted to bless Jeff, but now he was the one who was being blessed. And no doubt he was touched and perhaps even changed in some way by Jeff's generosity. So Elton John asked the photographer to capture the moment with a picture. And this is the photo. 12-year-old Jeff Hansen with Elton John and a check for $1,000. A week later, the Children's Tumor Foundation called Jeff to tell him that they had just received a $5,000 check from Elton John in Jeff's honor. But that's not the end of the story. Before Jeff's visit with Elton John was over, Elton asked Jeff if he'd ever been to Dubai. Now, Jeff's been fighting cancer, and he's only 12, so the answer was a simple one, no. So Elton John invited to fly Jeff and his parents for an all-expenses trip, paid trip to Dubai to stay with Elton and his people while he was performing in that country. He explained that he wanted to hear more about Jeff's work. Amazing. Generosity. And the blessings flow back to Jeff. Even at a young age, Jeff Hansen understood what life 
is really about. He could have felt sorry for himself, but he chose to focus his attention on helping others. And in the process, others have been changed. Other people became more generous. Jeff's generosity was returned to a blessing back to him. This is probably what Jesus meant when he said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or what God was saying in Malachi 3, verse 10, when he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you see that? God is saying, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Many of us get this wrong. We say that if you give to God, then he's going to give back more to you. That's not how it works. We don't give to God so that we can get something in return. We give because we want to be more like Jesus. And when we give, the blessings seem to come back to us. We never can outgive God. There's no guarantee that if you tithe or you give faithfully, that you won't lose your job someday or other bad things won't happen to you. Nevertheless, when we give generously, the unmistakable blessings of God flow into our lives. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. He's going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessings on you then you have the capacity to store. Let's take God at his word. As we choose to live for God and give generously of what he has given to us, we will both bless others and experience the abundant blessings that come from living for God. And in the process, we're pleasing to God. Offerings that are fragrant aroma to him. Let me close with this. I wonder if you and I will be a success in this life. Do you ever wonder that? That when we're, our life comes to a close, will it be seen as being a success? It doesn't have anything to do with how much money you made or how much you have or how much pleasure you were able to cram into your lifetime or what level of achievements you may have attained at the company where you work or even if you own the company. Instead, success has everything to do with how we use what God has entrusted us with. Things like how did you love the people who were put in your path? 
How did you make the world a better place by investing where God was at work or investing in another person's life who was in need? Or how did you trust in God's unfailing love? When we do these things and and things like them, nobody will have to tell us about the good life or about success. We will know it for ourselves because we will have been living it. And isn't that what we want? To live a life that is pleasing to God, that will bring glory to him and change the eternal destiny of those around us? A life like that? That's a life that's a success. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we all will want to be more generous, that we will want our lives to reflect Jesus and the way that he lived with such a generous heart. We are made in your image, and so we realize, God, that we are designed to be generous. Yet there are voices that speak that try to convince us to keep it for ourselves and and to hoard those resources. But by your power, God, help us take captive those thoughts, those voices, and let us live with generosity God, we thank you that you are our provider. Help us to live by faith, confident that you will provide, whether it be in our own lives or whether it be for this church. Help us, God, to trust you to provide. I pray that you will speak today, Lord. Move in our hearts And I pray, God, that you will raise up new tithers, people who will test you and see that you will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessings on them than they could ever imagine, certainly could ever store. Lord, I pray as a people that we will give in a way that will bless you and bless others. Use these offerings that we give each week to bring glory to your name and to advance your kingdom. And Lord, ultimately, we pray that people will be in heaven someday because of the investments that we're making here. God, we know we can't outgive you. And so we just say thank you for being our provider far beyond more than we could ever ask or imagine. I praise you for that, God. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, again, thank you so much for tuning in with us, carving out time in your weekend to worship together. We hope that you were encouraged today as we continue our Everyone series. And let me just say, if you'd like to connect further, you want to talk about something, you have something on your heart, that you'd like to just walk with, through, and we would love to do that. And you can reach out by going to nccleks.org slash connect. Reach out in the chat right now.
And listen, another way that we worship every single week when we gather, whether it's online or in person, is through generosity. And we're so grateful that so many of you give generously and joyfully to further the mission of Northeast as we strive to love the 40509 and beyond. So we're so grateful that however you choose to give, that you do, because it matters. And finally, let me just say this. If you're new to Northeast, maybe you've been checking us out for a little while, or, or maybe it's been a few months, and you're just you're trying to figure out what this place is all about and what you can expect from Northeast, you want to learn a bit more? We've got a great opportunity coming up. June 13th, right after church, we're having a Discover Northeast. So, so what will happen is folks who are new around here, they all kind of gather right outside our, our main lobby doors, and we'll kind of have a, a picnic, a, a pizza picnic where staff will come, and you'll get to hear more about the mission, the vision, the values of Northeast. So if you're new, man, come join us. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to talk further about what Northeast has in store and ways for you to get connected with it. But again, hey, thank you so much for being with us. We hope to see you real soon.